Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is another day of Catch and Shoot, a playoff edition. We've been doing this for a while now, but finally we get to talk some playoff basketball in the month of August. Today, we're talking magic top of the Milwaukee Bucks. What does that mean for an Orlando squad that might try and make some noise in the playoffs? Gordon Hayward is out four weeks, and Chris Stapps gets ejected in game one. And we're also going to have a great conversation with Kendra Andrews, who covers the Denver Nuggets and their big win the other day. But before we get to all that, I have to welcome in my main man, Bruce Bernstein. Bruce, for the people who are listening to this, they're not going to be able to see this, but for the people who watch this show, that background you have is very impressive. And it's kind of a running joke we have on this show. What is in Bruce's house? You got a lot going on there, my man. Yeah, you know, I've got actually the, uh, I don't know which way, that's my Denver Nuggets all-star ball from like 2005. Uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, when you, when you hang around as long as I have, you accumulate a lot of junk. And unfortunately, my wife doesn't let me keep any of it upstairs. So it's all down in the man cave. And in upcoming weeks, if Otto is going to take the week off and let me fill in, I'll try and share some of my uh, man caveness with you guys. I'm excited to see it. We got to put it up on our social channels. I think people would get a kick out of a lot of like the memorabilia that you have around your house, some of the basketball, some of the hats that you have, and just like some of the things that you've accumulated over the years of covering the NBA for so long. And, you know, one of the things that with being in this league and being a part of it for so long, you've seen a lot of different things. This playoff atmosphere is unlike anything that we've seen. Players are having to bring more energy. And we've spoke about this at nauseum so far on this show, what these environments would be like. And we got our first real upset of the NBA playoffs with the magic topping the bucks in game one. And look, full disclosure, I understand that sometimes this happens in game one, the underseeded team will beat the top seeded team. And then it eventually goes chalk after there, but we got an early surprise from a magic team that might be trying to make some noise, Bruce. You know, in the open to this show, the lovely and talented Darlene says, Aaron Berlin, who believes the Orlando Magic will win the NBA championship eventually. It well, could be this year. Is, it could be this is year. The fu- is, the, is the future now, Aaron? What do you think? Look at this. If, if Markel Fultz is going to hit threes like they are floaters, then they have an opportunity. If you look at this and you watch this basketball game, you would have thought the Magic were by far the superior team. And you would think, 
that Markel Fultz and Nick Vucevic are the new Penny and Shaq. Remember on last week's show when I sat there and I said, one of the best duos of all time was Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal and the way those two played together. You could have watched just that basketball game today and thought that Markel Fultz and Nick Vucevic were Penny and Shaq from 25 years ago. I know that you follow the Orlando hoop culture much more than myself, but it seems to me that from a distance, Nick Vucevic hasn't always gotten the love and respect from Orlando fans that he certainly earned in game one on uh, Tuesday. I mean, he had, what, 35, 15, four assists, outplayed the Greek freak. So I think, you know, Orlando, you guys owe, owe Nick a little bit of love. And so there's a reason for that. So the Magic have this great heritage of sinners, right? Like when you look at the family tree of sinners that the Magic have had, it starts with probably Dwight Howard as the most successful in a Magic jersey. And then it would go to Shaq with the time that he spent. Well, Nick Vucevic is in that lineage of players. And part of the reason he doesn't get the same respect, at least in my view, is that he doesn't play the same way that those two did. You know, Shaq and Howard were such bruising, dominant defensive centers. Nick Vucevic is not that way at all. Nick Vucevic loves the mid-range game, and it drives analytics people insane. Like, if you're going to shoot the 12-footer, why not just step out and shoot the three? And he added that to his game last year, and he became an all-star for it. But he's never going to be as tough, as mentally just aggressive as those two guys were. And that bothers a lot of people in this market. But if he's going to put up 35 points in a playoff game, Bruce, that's all that matters, right? You know, going into the playoffs, actually going into the bubble itself, one of the things that I had predicted was with no home court, and no road disadvantage. Yeah, you talked about the, this a the, lot. The distance between the top teams and the bottom teams goes from like four-game sweep to possibly six-game series. I think now this, this series is definitely going to go six. And I'm not saying that Orlando is going to beat Milwaukee. I don't think they will. But I don't think they're going to lose in five games either. I think this thing's going six. And I think what you saw in the uh, – Mavericks Clippers game before the ejection. I know we're going to talk a little bit about that series as well. I think there was further evidence of that in that series as well. Does this opening game and the way that you've seen Milwaukee play in the seeding games concern you at all about them in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big Eric Bledsoe fan. I got to admit it. And he has a way of coming up small during the playoffs. Um, Chris Middleton didn't have a very good game in game one today, but I think maybe this is going to be their wake-up call. I mean, look, Mike Budenholzer is an outstanding coach, and this is an elite team. I mean, they were like 56-17 and 17 in the regular yeah. season. I mean, you don't have a record like that if you're not good. So maybe this was the wake-up call they needed, but at the same time, they're not going to have the home fans. And Orlando is the closest thing we have to a team playing at home in the bubble, <laughs> right? So Geographically. I'm going to close on this. I don't think the Magic are going to win this series, but Milwaukee has a big problem if Gary Clark is going to start in um, replacement of Aaron Gordon, who did not play in game one due to an injury, and he's going to drop 15 on you while guarding Giannis. You have some real issues there that Milwaukee needs to address moving forward. And so that's just, just kind of my takeaway. I do think it ends in six games, though. So. 
Yeah, I think so too. All right, let's go out west now, Aaron. We all had a pretty good look at uh, the emerging superstar for Dallas, Luka Doncic, uh, in game one. And there was all kinds of controversy in that uh, game as far as uh, Kristaps Porzingis being ejected with a second technical foul just a few minutes into the second half. What do you make of what you saw in game one? You can't eject him in that in that situation. Not in that kind of a game, in an environment like they're playing in. And I get it. So part of the problem is Chris Stapps was the one who came over, right? Like the argument was between Beverly and Marcus Morris. And then Chris Stapps injected himself into this argument. Now, part of that is coming to the side of his teammate. But you cannot do that in this situation. But on the flip side, I don't think anything that happened or anything that was said or anything that was shown was worthy of an ejection. And in an environment where players are trying to create their own energy because there's no natural aesthetic energy from a crowd or an ambiance from a crowd, let these guys have moments like this. But I'll say this, Bruce, this was the first moment of the NBA playoffs where it felt like it was the NBA playoffs, where there was some intensity, there was some fire, and there was some aggressiveness. And it felt like we got robbed of that with this ejection. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. I mean, Rick Carlisle, the Mavericks coach, who in my mind is definitely one of the top three coaches in the NBA, um, I loved what his reaction was to the whole situation because Rick Carlisle is clearly a bright guy who sees the big picture. I think, you know, he was pretty chill about the whole thing after the game. It would have been real easy for him to get upset and get himself one of those $35,000 fines, which he didn't do. He basically said, those are the rules. And he did it. And it's an automatic thing. And that's what happens. I think he will, you know, in practice the, the day after, that will be a teachable moment for Kristaps, for Luca, who complains about every non-call, by the way. I mean, he is like the number one whiner in the league right now. That said, I'd love to have him. He's an unbelievable talent. He took it right to Kawhi Leonard. But I think with Rick, he probably saw enough in that game and probably thought, okay, we're probably not going to win game one, but we made him earn it. And I think I would not be at all surprised if Dallas won game two. I really wouldn't. I'm going to leave you with this. This was the biggest what-if moment of game ones in the NBA playoffs. And if this is the game that tips it in the Clippers scale, that's going to be the biggest what-if for the Mavs moving forward. Luka drops 42 and you lose because of an ejection when you led when it happened. That's a what-if moment that they could potentially be thinking about for the entire offseason if it goes that way. No. All right, let's go ahead and welcome in Kendra Andrews, who covers the Nuggets for The Athletic. Kendra Andrews covers the Denver Nuggets for The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter at Kendra underscore Andrews, and she is kind enough to join us for today's show. Kendra, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you guys? You know, not too bad. Enjoying a little bit of NBA basketball. My Magic won today, so that was a big win over the Bucks. But also, you know, the Nuggets got a big win the other night. What did you see from game one? I mean, what a great way to start the playoffs, right? That first game had a little bit of everything you love about basketball, had a 50-plus point performance. It had overtime. It had a bit of everything. So, I mean, I think the Nuggets have to be happy, the fact that they won with Donovan Mitchell scoring 57 points. That being said, they need to figure out how to slow him down because you don't want to let him score that many points every single time. 
maybe they could still get out of this series if he does continue to play like that, but it's going to make it that much harder for them to do so. So I think you want to see improved defense from them as you wanted to see throughout the entire bubble play. And then I think in that third quarter, they kind of hit a little bit of stagnation with their offense and they've always been a strong offensive team. So kind of try and figure out how to put it together for as close to 48 minutes as they can. You mentioned defense being a big issue for this team and maybe not a big issue, but what are some of the concerns? Is it mostly centered around the pick and roll? I think for the Jazz, that is going to be a big area that the Nuggets need to improve on. They're not a great pick-and-roll defense team, and obviously that's something that the Jazz really thrive in. So when it comes to playing against Utah, that's going to be really key for them, as well as their three-point defense, which has been an issue for them since the season restarted. And, I mean, again, when you're playing against a team that has a shooter like Donovan Mitchell, Mike Connolly, when he gets back into the bubble – that's also something that you're going to want to try and eliminate. And, you know, they've said part of it's about communication. They haven't been communicating enough. They haven't been sticking to their assignments tight enough. Um, But those are definitely two big defensive areas that they need to work on. Kendra, I don't really know a whole lot about Denver's defensive, you know, prowess. Obviously, we all know about you know, Jokic and Jamal Murray, et cetera. Is there somebody that is considered their best perimeter defender that maybe they're going to sick on uh, Spider Mitchell next time out? Well, it's kind of, I don't know, funny, ironic. We'll use the word ironic because their best perimeter defender is Gary Harris, who of course has missed every single game that they've played in the bubble with a hip injury. No word as to if and when he will come back. It could be tomorrow's game it could be next series it could be not in the playoffs we just don't know so they've been relying on Tory Craig to defend Donovan Mitchell and he's done it before I mean he's spent the most time out of any Denver Nugget on Mitchell I think he's played about 20 minutes defending him this season and he has done a pretty good job in their first game which I think it was in January he held Donovan Mitchell to just four points and he didn't let him score in the first half So, I mean, that's pretty solid defense against a guy like Donovan Mitchell who's going to get his. And then again, and I think in the game after that one in January, he held him to 18 points, which is still really good considering how many points Donovan Mitchell can put up. But in these last two games, he scored 35 just a couple weeks ago, 57 the other night. So something, they can do it. They just, something needs to change. Yeah, there's no doubt a lot of points are going to be put up in this series. When you look at the way these two teams play, there's a really interesting dynamic here with Rudy Gobert and Nikola Jokic going head-to-head. What does that matchup look like, and what is Mike Malone's plan for that matchup heading into this series? Well, it's been kind of interesting because these two teams have faced each other so much, not even just this season, but for the past two or three years, you know, their conference rivals, their division rivals. So they play each other a lot. And with that, I think Nikola Jokic has really learned Rudy Gobert's game. And what has given Nikola Jokic trouble maybe two years ago isn't giving him as much trouble now, like with Gobert's length. Jokic has kind of learned how to manage that and and deal with that. And that's one reason why I think Denver really wanted 
this matchup against the Jazz in the first round because they know that they can take out Utah's best two players in Gobert and Mitchell. And so I think Michael Malone is trusting that Jokic knows what to do. I think in game one, Jokic's defense was – it wasn't great. He had some lapses where Gobert got a bucket that was – way easier than it should have been. But Nikola Jokic knows Rudy Gobert pretty well. I think Gobert knows Nikola Jokic pretty well. And so I think that makes this matchup a lot of fun because these two teams know each other, know each what each other does, their styles, their, their kinks, they know it all. One of the things that I've always found impressive about Jokic is that no matter who's guarding him, no matter who he's going up against, you cannot speed this guy up. He plays at his own pace. He takes his time. He's very methodical. Sometimes it almost looks like he's moving in slow motion. But at the end of the day, you look at who won, Denver won, not just yesterday, and look at his numbers. So to me, he's just a really unique individual as a player. I'm, I completely agree. I mean, I don't think that there's ever, or at least in recent NBA history, been a player like Nikola Jokic, a guy who's seven feet tall can throw these outlet passes like a quarterback who can also drop dimes like a point guard who is a big fella who moves very slowly yet every all of their offense runs through him it's just, it's a really really weird dynamic when you kind of break it down you're like well why why do they do that? Why do they play like that? How do they play like that? And I think the Nuggets just love it. Tim Connolly, who's the president of basketball operations, I think it's his favorite thing ever. Like, I think he loves this kind of wonkier style that totally works for them. And he loves having their point center, as they like to call Nikola Jokic. But it's funny that you mentioned that because there was one play in the game the other day where it was Gobert and Nikola Jokic in the in the post and it looked like they were moving in slow motion like Gobert went up for the slowest layup ever and it worked for them but it looked like someone turned down the speed on the tv you know Kendra one of the things that I think is really interesting about this Nuggets team is they've not been scared to draft players that I think a lot of people saw might have some concerns you look at a player like Michael Porter Jr. who's had big minutes in not only the seeding games but also early on in game one and then you also look at another player like Bull Bull how excited are the Nuggets for what they've seen from those two players and how much can those two players impact them in this series I think they're really excited like you said those you take chances and sometimes chances don't pay off and sometimes they do and I mean clearly with Michael Porter Jr. right now that that is paying off and the patience that they've had with him is paying off and I think something that they really like actually is that him sitting out his first season with the Nuggets really allowed him just to learn to immerse himself in the culture of the organization to learn the plays from the sideline and then apply them after the fact and it's I mean it's paying off he got the all bubble second team and you know he's he's got a starting spot and I honestly think that even after Gary Harris and Will Barton come back I think that Michael Porter Jr. is going to keep the starting spot at least for the playoffs you know next year's next season's next season worry about that then but I think that Michael Porter Jr. has 
shown this team, you know, this is who you thought I was when you drafted me. This is the guy that people thought I was coming out of high school because he didn't really get to play in college. I think a reason why you didn't see that from him from the regular season was because his minutes were so inconsistent. He didn't get a chance to really find a rhythm to, you know, build chemistry with his teammates. And I think in these past what has it been five, six weeks since they've been in Orlando, he's built that connection with Nikola Jokic. He understands what his role is. He knows what's expected of him. And now he's able to not only be a starter where he's a second, third option of scoring, but then he can bridge the gap between the starting lineup and the bench unit when then he's the first scoring option. So I think that's been really great for him. And then Bull Bull, I mean, you know, I mentioned Nikola Jokic, they, them loving that weird point center, but who doesn't love a seven foot two shooting guard, right? <laughs> like, like who doesn't love that? I think, I mean, Bull Bull, it's a small sample size and he has a lot of cleaning up to do, but the natural ability is there. And he, I mean, when you're going up against guys who are going to be five, seven, five, eight, you're going to have the advantage on them every time. You guys aren't old enough to remember Bull Bull's dad, Manute Bull, although I am because I am that old. He was like seven foot six or seven five, seven six. And he was, he used to go out, he, he played for Don Nelson and the Warriors. He'd go out and shoot threes and people just couldn't believe it. So there must be something in the Bull family DNA that just says, yeah, I'm a guard trapped in a like, you know, gigantic body or whatever. But you know, it's funny. We talk about the big name guys on both teams, you know, Gobert and Mitchell, you know, Jokic and, and um, Jamal. But a lot of times it's that next tier player. And you mentioned Porter a few minutes ago. On Monday in game one, it was Monte Morris. I mean, he was making shots like six out of nine from the floor, just, you know, really solid game. What, what, do, we, what do we look for from Monte? Because he's not really a household name. Right. I think Monte is exactly the type of guy you want as your pa- your backup point guard, though, because he he knows this team very well. He can run the floor very well. He's a really good passer. What they were most pleased with with, with his game the other night was the fact that he was hitting three-pointers. Because I don't know if you guys remember this, but last postseason, he didn't hit a three-pointer at all. And so Coach Malone was saying today how he was teasing Monte and everyone was congratulating him. You're like, you got your first career playoff three-pointer. Congratulations. And that's what they need from him. That was a huge issue because their big shooters are Jamal Murray and Monte Morris and now Michael Porter Jr., but he wasn't really playing last season. So if you're, you want your guards to hit those perimeter shots. So I think they just need to see more of that from him because as if they, they want to make a deep run in these playoffs. And so they're going to need to give Jamal Murray rest eventually, especially if Gary Harris and Will Barton remain on the sidelines, their guard depth isn't very deep. And so having big moments and big minutes from Monte Morris will be important for them. Kendra, that's a really good point that I didn't think about until just now. So many of these Nuggets players last year, they were experiencing the playoffs for the first time. Now they're in it for, for a second successive year. What was the takeaway from them after the game? Because now they're playing in the playoffs. This is a completely different environment than what they saw last year. And I thought energy-wise, 
they really brought it in game one. And, you know, you had a great lead graph in your story the other day about just how there wasn't much of a difference aesthetically from the seeding games to them, but mentally they were tough. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I asked them about that before the game, exactly as you just put it, Aaron, you know, there are no fans, there are no rally towels or, you know, colored t-shirts that fans get to wear. There is no nothing. It's exactly the same. And so, yeah, it, it, Malone said from him for, as a coach, it wasn't hard to make that switch, but as the players out there, that might be a little bit harder for them because it might feel exactly the same, but they, they seemed to understand the fact that they needed to create their own energy. And I think Jamal Murray in game one really took it upon himself. I mean, you could see him chest bumping Nikola Jokic and yelling the mics were picking up him yelling at his teammates, good things, yelling good things at them, you know, and encouragement. And I think that they understood that they need to make their own home court advantage. And it's going to be them lifting each other up. That's going to make the difference because if you stay quiet, nothing, nothing is going to happen. And it is interesting because they, this is their second year. And so they like to say, okay, well, we have that experience that we can now bring into this year, which is very much true. The level of competition is still the same as the playoffs are every single year. And you're still fighting for the same thing. And so I think having had that experience definitely helps them more now that they're in such a weird environment because they know what it feels like to be in the playoffs and they know the energy that they're trying to recreate. If they hadn't been in the playoffs before, it might've been harder for them to say, well, that's the energy level that we need to match. And so I think, I think it's helpful for them. All right, Kendra, we're taking it off the court now because we have some questions we want to ask you about the fam. Okay. We know that you're killing it with the athletic and we know that your sister Malika is also doing a great job roaming the sidelines for ESPN. So how did the, Andrew's sisters decide they were going to take over the NBA media platforms. <laughs> How did that all begin? It was, it was a plan. We planned it from the start. <laughs> and we definitely didn't, you know, I, it's funny. I like to tease her and say that she took my idea. She's, she's older than me. So she got to, you know, she got to college first and graduated college first, but we, we were raised in Oakland and, you know, the sports landscape in the Bay area is, I think it's one of the best in the country because you have a basketball team. That's now very good. You have two football teams, you have two baseball teams. There's, there's always something to watch and always something to cheer for and participate in. And that was our family time. And I remember one night I was sitting with my dad watching a Warriors game and I was like, dad, those people get paid to talk about sports. And he's like, I, I, I know. And I was like, well, that, like, that's awesome. Like, I'm going to, like, that sounds like a great way to make money. That's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I think, I think both of us kind of had that same feeling of this is what we love to watch and love what we do in our pastime. And our parents always made it very clear to us that you should you know, don't feel confined to a corporate job or what kind of is the beaten path. If you have a hobby that you enjoy, you can probably figure out how to make it into a full-fledged career. And so when we both went to college, we, you know, pursued our school papers and it ended up pretty well for us. 
Has there been any ribbing between the two of you? The fact that she's in the bubble, you're covering a team that's in the bubble and you both can't be there. What have those conversations been like? It's been kind of fun. You know, it was fun yesterday watching her do the sideline for the Nuggets game. And it's, it's been fun on some Zoom calls, the Zoom media calls, having them, okay, Malika Andrews, okay, now Kendra Andrews, and having that. It's, it's fun to be there together without actually being there, you know, but it's, my, I think my parents are, our, our parents are enjoying it the most, definitely. <laughs> okay, so I want to be your agent now, okay, <laughs> because, because we got Malika, you know, getting it done for ESPN. I mean, I think TNT needs to have an Andrew's <laughs> sister roaming the sidelines for them. What do you think? Do you, do you want me to make a phone call or two for you? <laughs> get, get some more sibling, sibling rivalry going. It's funny because we actually went to, she went to University of Portland and I went to Gonzaga for school, which are in the same conference. So for, for two years when we were both in college, we had a, we started the sibling rivalry then, which of teams being in the same conference and now into, into competitive, uh, um, competing businesses and stuff. But it's funny because one thing I said when I was interviewing for jobs and stuff, they said, is there anywhere you really want to be anywhere in the country you really want to be? And I said, well, I know where I don't want to be. And that's the market that my sister's in. We'll let the sibling rivalry stop right there. <laughs> awesome. That is perfect. That is wonderful. Last question before we let you go. How tough was it for you to watch the Zags this year and not get to see them in the tournament? It was, it was hard. It was hard. I think you know, I mean, everything that went down with sports was just kind of hard to watch and, and every just watching it all stop was very sudden. And the Nuggets were actually in that last NBA game that was played after their game. Nothing else was was played. So it's pretty crazy. But I think for me, it was harder. My senior year of college, I was supposed to cover I covered the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. And then I was going to go back out if the Zags made it to the final four and they lost in the elite eight and so i think that was <laughs> more of a, a stab to the heart for me but you know i'm excited to see them next season maybe depending on what happens i will be able to go out and actually watch a game which would be really fun out in spokane so we'll see that's what kind happens. of what we all want at this point right like we all just want to go to a live event hey kendra thanks so much for taking the time and joining us and hopefully the nuggets let you advance a little bit further in the in the conference finals this year absolutely thanks so much you guys that was dope. Thanks a lot to Kendra Andrews for joining us. Kendra from The Athletic, along with her sister Malika. The Andrews sisters are just killing it, covering the NBA, and their parents back in Oakland must be very proud. So thanks to Kendra. Uh, speaking of killing it, uh, have the Celtics killed their playoff hopes with the injury to Gordon Hayward? Aaron, uh, Celtics fans are crying all over the country, starting with me. I was going to say, I was going to ask you if you're doing okay, but I knew this was coming up on this show. I, f I figured you might be in full tears when we started this. I don't think so. I, I think, and call me crazy, Bruce, and you can completely call me crazy on this. If they're going to get the type of production that they got out of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown throughout the course of the playoffs, they're going to be just fine. And then you sprinkle in a little Kimball Walker every now and then. That team has more than enough firepower if those two guys play the way they did the other night to make it through the Eastern Conference playoffs. 
Now, the question becomes, is what they do at that spot that Hayward occupied? I think you're going to probably see Marcus Smart pick up a bunch of those minutes. And I think also, uh, from a defensive point of view, I think you're going to see Shemi Ojale picking up some of the minutes too, you know, playing defense. Shemi can hit an open three. He's certainly nowhere uh, close to the playmaker that Hayward is. But he is a tough guy. He's a legitimate hustle guy. He will grind away. And between him and Marcus Smart, or as it's pronounced in Boston, Marcus Smart, I do expect that Boston will still find a way to get past Philadelphia. But if they end up with Toronto in the next round, that's where they're going to really be missing Gordon Hayward. A few more things on this game, because I know you were watching this very intently. I'm going to be honest. I don't watch a lot of Celtics games like you do. But the Sixers have been such an interesting case study, not only through the seeding games, but early on. So they're also playing without star point guard Ben Simmons. And what we saw early on in this basketball game was Joel Embiid really dominating in the first quarter. What happened the rest of that basketball game? What were some of the things that you saw happen with Embiid? Well, in the first quarter, he was going up against Daniel Tice, who's a much better player than you know a lot of people realize. He does a lot of things that don't show up in the uh, numbers. But he can't guard one-on-one somebody like Joel Embiid. They put Ennis Cantor in there a little bit, and he didn't have much luck with him either. So Brad Stevens, because he is very good at making adjustments, he, you know, after the end of the first quarter, he started bringing a guard down. When Embiid got the ball in the post, they were digging down, going after the ball, hoping to get the ball out of Embiid's hands, which they did. So he was kicking it out, and that's when you need your shooters to make some shots so that they can't, you know, Uh, dishonor the outside shooters as they did. And other than Josh Richardson, there really wasn't anybody making any outside shots for Philadelphia. So unless they can find somebody to make some shots, I think you can expect to see more of the same. And I think Joel lost some of his aggressiveness. He got tired of dealing with all these guys going after his dribble down low. He slowly drifted out, out, out. And uh, that was it. I mean, uh, that totally played into Boston's hands. All right, Bruce, I'm going to set the over-under at five on games in this series. How many games do you see this series going? You taking the over or the I, under? I'm, I'm going over. I have a lot of respect for Philadelphia, even despite their flaws. I think it goes six games. And uh, Boston, I believe, will win. But uh, Philadelphia, you know, we haven't seen their best basketball yet. I think we'll see better ball out of them. Yeah, that's probably going to be the most fun series to watch in the the first round. Outside of, of course, that Magic and that Bucks series. Uh, We'll close on this. Is there a series that you think is going to be really fun to watch in round one? And what team has caught your eye? Well, going into the season, I had picked the Lakers to win the championship. And I'm sticking with that. Uh, But I think everybody is looking at that Portland Lakers series at eight versus one, where you almost never see an eight versus one upset. And it's unlikely to happen this time either. But if that series went seven games, I would not be shocked. I mean, Lillard and McCollum are going up against a Lakers team who have two perimeter defenders that so far haven't played. I mean, Avery Bradley's opted out. Rondo, Rajon Rondo will probably be back at some point, but he's going to be a little bit rusty, hasn't played in a while. So I think that it's going to be Portland's little guys against uh, LeBron and, and uh, AD. And with a little bit of Yusuf Nurkic thrown in there, I, I see that series being very entertaining, Aaron. What about you? 
I'm still pushing for that Lillard McCollum ticket. You know, the DNC started this week. I'm still, I'm still trying to push that ticket out there for running mates of the year. Yeah, that one to me is, is the most interesting, not only because of McCollum and Lillard, but we were going to talk about this. We didn't end up getting to this, but the way Carmelo Anthony has played with um, the Blazers as well, and kind of everyone knows that the second Dame crosses the court, he's going to draw most of the attention. And then so some of the attention also goes on Nurkic and McCollum. But with how efficient Mello has been, and not only the seeding games, but also from a shooting-wise, it's been really impressive to, fo- to uh, follow. Defensively, I think that's where the Blazers are going to struggle because if you look at what their seeding game numbers were, I-, I think they were like 21st or 22nd when it comes to def- or defensive efficiency in the bubble. And so going opposite of LeBron and AD, that's where they're going to struggle. But that, that one, to me, will be the most fun to follow the entire time. No argument here. <laughs> and a special thanks to our producer, Scott Turkin, and our co-host, head of content, our do-everything man. His name is Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Tom Phillip. That does it for us here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. As a reminder, we want you to listen to, and now you can watch all of our shows, and we want you to follow us on all of our handles. That's Twitter, Instagram, our website, everywhere we go. Every Monday, Mike Weiss is bringing you great guest after great guest. This week, a dear friend of his, Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report, dropped by. That was a fun listen. On Tuesday, it's Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. On Wednesday, you get your NBA news and notes right here on Catch and Shoot, whether it's myself, Bruce, or Otto bringing it to you each and every week. Thursdays is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure. And Friday, we round out the week with the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. And just a reminder, everybody, uh, we're having fun in the bubble, but the other 330 million of us that are not in the bubble need to remember that this COVID-19 thing is not done with us yet. So please be responsible, wear your mask, protect yourself, protect others, keep your distance from other people, wash your hands, everything we've been telling you for the past four months, it still applies. We're trying to follow it and we hope you will too. Also keep working for social justice along with our fellow citizens. We want to uh, have an inclusive society where everybody feels welcome, kind of like in the basketball family, Aaron, where we all never look at the color of anyone's skin. It's like, can you play? And are you a good teammate? That's all that matters. Absolutely. There's no bigger fraternity or sorority than basketball as a whole. But hey, everybody, that does it for us here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. Go watch some playoff basketball. Enjoy it. It's all day long. We love it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.